praise the Lord, my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. Would you read all of this out loud with me, the rest of it? Ready? Praise the Lord, my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you so much for standing out of reverence for God's word. Well, we're starting a series today uh, called Hungry Heart. When my kids were little, they don't quite do this as in the same way today, but when my kids were little, it was a pretty common occurrence. They would be, uh, they would be doing something. And it really wouldn't matter what that something was. I mean, it could be drawing something. It could be, um, uh, you know, doing something. You know, like it'd be, literally it could be them jumping. <laughs> and uh, they would do this thing. And, and if they caught that Andrea or I weren't watching them uh, do this thing, whatever this thing was, they would say, and any parent knows exactly what I'm getting ready to say. What would they say? They would say, look at me. <laughs> look at me. Look at me. Hey, Dad, look at me. Look at me, Dad. Dad, Dad, I drew this. Dad, look at me, Dad. Look, look, Dad. I, I, I'm not sure, because every, every, every parent has had that experience with your kids. If you've raised kids, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm not sure, and this is what we're going to talk about in this whole series. I'm not sure that desire to be noticed and to be seen, I'm not sure it ever goes away. Now, I'm not saying that, uh, that you're being childish or that I'm being childish. I'm just simply saying that hunger, <laughs> that hunger to matter, that hunger to be somebody, that hunger to be noticed, it just stays with us. This is church, right? So we can be honest. I have that hunger. Do you have that hunger? Let me say it to you like this. If you're taking notes, and then we're going to talk about it the rest of our time here together Here's what your, your hungers are talking to you. And here's what your hungers are telling you. Your hungers tell you that you were made for more. Can you just, if you're sitting here in the room, can you just bump your neighbor and say, hey, you were made for more. Just let them know. They need to know. You were made for more. Well, I want to talk to you today about, uh, we're going to be looking at different hungers each week, just hungers that we all have as human beings going on this journey called human life. Um, I want to talk to you today about the hunger that you and I both have to matter. Uh, It's the hunger to count. And uh, I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about what God says about that specific hunger. I want to talk to you about a sin that always gets in the way and why we routinely fall for it as human beings. And then I want to talk to you about two life-giving ways that you can fill the hunger. So the hunger to matter, what God says about it, the sin that gets in the way and why we fall for it, and then two life-giving ways to fill the hunger. Uh, we're, we're all hungry to matter. I, I think the reason is, uh, uh, there's a couple of things. I, I look at them as two kind of interwoven realities, almost like a rope. And, and the first reality is, is the world that you and I live in is we're kind of at a unique moment. Uh, in our culture today, uh, we believe that whatever you feel um, is always valid and should always be indulged. That though, if you are somehow not 
indulging what you feel or you're not letting what you feel be fully expressed that somehow you are less than human. Uh, in our culture today, uh, technology is, a, is, is almost like, it functions in a, a God-like way. It directs our lives. It tells us where to go. Uh, we believe that any problem can be solved with technology. And then in our world today, this might not be the word that people use for it, but we believe that we can be saved or we can find salvation um, either by hard work or by celebrity. I was, uh, we lived for a while near Chicago and, and I was downtown, I think I was seeing someone in the hospital and, and right next to the hospital was the, uh, the University of Chicago. I don't know if you know anything about the University of Chicago. It's kind of an Ivy League school. You walk onto the campus, you feel like you're you know, in Europe. It's just this beautiful, beautiful campus. And I just, I'm fascinated by architecture. And so I just kind of wandered around a little bit. And I, I went into this hall where the library was. And then I went into this door and I opened the door. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not young. I, I know I look young, but I'm not. I'm not young. And, and so I'm thinking, I'm, I'm like, yeah, they're, they're, everyone here sees me as young, right? No, they didn't. And, and so I walked through this door and I walked into it. It was probably the size of this room um, with this vaulted ceiling paneled all the way to the roof. And it was just tables. And I did not see a screen. I did not see a phone. I mean, you could, you, it was utterly quiet. It was a, packed with students on every table studying. I mean, you could feel the achievement in the air, right? It's like, I am going to get the University of Chicago. I am going to be somebody. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to find my place, and I'm going to be somebody. We, we kind of believe that by our hard work that we will save ourselves, either for, from achievement or we, you know, we're in the side hustle culture, right? Like, if my life's not working, I can start a side hustle over here, and that'll get me where I need to go. Or we believe that we can find salvation by celebrity, meaning if I get enough clicks and likes, then I'm validated as a person. And now I wrap all this up, right, in our culture that we live in where it's feelings and technology and salvation by work and by celebrity. And, and, and at the same time, we're just exhausted all the time, right? Um. I don't know if you saw this. I don't watch uh, the news um, really ever, uh, but I keep up with what's happening on social, and I follow different feeds of different organizations, so I don't hear an echo chamber. But one, one of these things came through uh, on social media in the last week or so. You've probably seen the things happening in the Ukraine. And um, there was this video. I've got a screenshot of two, two sections of this video, and it was this silent shot. I think it's on the screen. Yep, right there. And it was this shot of, and you could hear the air sirens going off, and you could just feel what it would be like to be in that place with air sirens going off, knowing you're huddled in a building and a bomb might drop on you, right? You could feel it. And then you, have, you would have to go watch the video to see how jarring it was. But then cut, it cut right in was an Applebee's commercial, you know, like, down, 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 down. Do you know the Applebee's commercial I'm talking about? Yeah, you do now, right. <laughs> Thank you, Tom. You'll hear it and go, wow, he did a great rendition of that. <laughs> and it was so jarring, but here, it, it kind of encapsulated this whole world we live in. It kind of put the brokenness of the world on display because while they were bringing us coverage, they were telling us, well, you also have to pay for that coverage. And it just didn't compute. And I feel like as a culture, we're, it's not computing. All these things are not adding up. 
So that's like the first strand of that rope. And then the second strand is the, just the undeniable hungers of the heart. It's the aches and the longings and the desires that all of us have. Do you remember as a kid uh, when you were, you know, elementary school, at least this was my experience, you, you, when you're a kid, you were always waiting for what was next, right? You would, when I'm in elementary school, I can't wait till I'm in junior high. And when you're in junior high, you can't wait to be in high school. And then when you're in high school, you can't wait until you're in college. And then when you get in college, you can't wait till you have your first job. And then you get your first job and you want a house. And then you get a house and then you want a career. And then you get a career and you want a nap. <laughs> and, and, and you do that long enough, right? And you retire and, and, and you, you get that nap, but then you want to matter. It's like, it's like we have these desires and these aches and these hungers that are never fulfilled. So when you intertwine those, like the technology and feeling and, and salvation by working ourselves to death or becoming somebody that people see as valuable, when you weave those things together, I mean, does that create a beautiful way for you and I to be human beings? I mean, is it, is it working? Is that creating a good, a good world? I, I just want to suggest when you combine the world that we live in and the aches of the human heart, that what it does is it only intensifies the ache. And, and honestly, part of that is because it's hard to feel like you matter when you're exhausted all the time, right? It's like, oh. Well, what does God say about, about this? Well, it's the, what the psalmist said. I want you to hear what the psalmist said. Beautiful, beautiful words. They, if you're living in that world, you know, the world we live in, and you feel the aches in your own heart, what the psalmist said that we read on the screen, Psalm 103, it, I mean, it can sound very, very foreign, but at the same time, I, I hope it does at least, it sounds kind of hauntingly hopeful. And so the psalmist says, hey, listen, what you're going to have to do is you're going to have to speak to your soul, and you have to say to your soul, praise the Lord. With every fiber in your being, you have to praise the Lord. Now, the word uh, that's used for praise there is the word barach. Can you say that out loud? Barach. And uh, what it means is it's, it's, the, it's the feeling, it's the emotion, it's the words, it's the sentiment that comes out of us when we are in awe of something, when we discover something that is worth something, that is worthy of our... It's, like, it's almost like you fall to your knees in awe. When Andrew and I were dating in college... Uh, I was uh, I was kind of the king of creative dates. Now um, I'm not sure I, I'm doing that as well today, and I probably need to pick up some of what I did in college. But I had a group of friends, and we just all decided we would win these women that we loved by our creativity. And so we went on all these creative kind of dates. I still remember. Um, I, I don't know how this happened, but I borrowed a, a hibachi grill from a friend. And uh, I went to Dylan's, and I went to the meat counter, and I said, hey, listen, I'm trying to impress this girl, and I need a really good steak. And so that guy gave me two filet mignons. I know it's almost lunchtime, and you're like, mmm, steak sounds good for dinner. So I, I said, I need two filet mignons. And I said, what goes good? And he goes, you know what would be really good is if you get some of these jumbo prawns. I'm like, what is a prawn? So he shows me, and he's like, well, here's what, I want, here's what you're going to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to cut those down the middle. I'm going to butterfly those. I'm like, oh, okay. You cut them open. So I, I, I've really never, again, it was a total accident, but I took her out to a, a park near there, and I borrowed this friend's little hibachi grill, and I put some, some coals there. 
and I cooked, I, I, I don't know what I, seasoning, I don't even remember, but I, I put this, this seasoning on the steak, and I cooked it there on the grill, and then I cooked those, is, are you getting hungry? Anybody else? Like, like, and and I, I cooked it there on the, on the grill, and it was, I, I'm not going to lie to you, I have a steak today, and my wife will say the same thing. It was a total accident at the time. Every steak pales in comparison, right? It's like you, you, when, I, when I think about that steak, I just am in awe. I'm like, oh, you should, you should have tasted. Like I want to barack that steak. That's right, all right? <laughs> and the psalmist is trying to say, listen, you're not going to find anything else in the world. You'll try, but you're not going to find anything else in the world that's going to leave your soul in that state of awe. Other than God, you're not. And so he goes on, he says, so you're going to praise the Lord and you want to, don't, don't forget his benefits, the, the rewards or the repayment. Now, he, he lists them, these are five rewards here. He says that from knowing God, you, you find forgiveness, you find healing, you find redemption. Now, I, I promise in today's world, if you could bottle um, forgiveness, healing, and redemption and you could just start an Instagram page and a TikTok account and have some testimonials of people who've taken the vial of forgiveness and healing and redemption because honestly, people are aching over relationships. They're trying to cure themselves and they're trying to climb out of the ruin of their lives to prove themselves. And if you could bottle that, I mean, you make a lot of money. And the psalmist says, listen, those are the benefits because what God does is God forgives forgives the intentional acts that you've put into the world and into your situation that are not helping. You can find forgiveness for those things from God. You can find healing for the places where you don't know how you're going to find healing. You can find redemption. And he uses this image of of the pit, like utter ruin. How how are you going to get out of utter ruin? And then he goes on, he says, and in fact, what God does is crowns you puts a crown on your head of steadfast love and mercy. And then verse 5, we'll put it on the screen again for you, says that God satisfies your, there's that word, desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now I want you to notice what the psalmist is saying here. He's saying, listen, if you have desires, let's all recognize that. But if God is the one who is satisfying your desires, what God, how God satisfies those desires is that he does it with, with good things. And when he gives you those good things, the result is that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, I read that phrase and I thought, youth renewed like the eagles? What are you, what are you talking about? It's kind of odd. Well, think about an eagle, right? We've got a picture of an eagle here. <laughs> uh, an eagle is effortless, Right? And when you're young, things are effortless. You don't even know. <laughs> it's effort like you can jump up, you can sleep for four hours every night for a year and be just fine, right? You can eat a chicken fried steak and a stack of pancakes and a plate of French fries drenched in cheese and bacon. It must be lunchtime because I'm talking a lot about food. And it doesn't even affect you, right? You are just like soaring above all of the indigestion. And you just get to a certain age and you, you sleep wrong and you walk with a limp for three weeks, right? Can, I, right? Can I get a witness on that? 
Like you are no longer soaring at a certain point in your life. And, and so the psalmist is saying, listen, if it's God that's satisfying you, he'll satisfy you with good things. And what will happen is God will put you in the place where you can soar again. You can rise above things again. And he makes this massive promise that here are my hungers. And if I am with God, then those hungers will find fulfillment. Now, what's the, what's the sin that stops us from that? And why do we, why do we fall for it? I, I think we can agree on the problem. I, I think we can all say, well, the world's kind of confused. And at the same time, our heart aches. And we're not exactly sure what we need to do about it. I mean, we can kind of all agree on the problem, right? We might agree that we want a solution. And the solution is going to feel something like some form of satisfaction, but where we might differ is we might not agree on what it is that holds us back. Now, the Bible has a word for uh, the things that hold us back, and the Bible's word for that is, uh, is sin. And when the Bible talks about sin, it's very nuanced. Um, there's all kinds of meaning and levels and layers to that, because when we choose things that are destructive, there's always layers to it. And, and when the Bible's talking about sin, it's not fundamentally saying that you broke a rule. Um, it's fundamentally saying that what you did is that in trying to fill a need, you broke yourself. Because you did it in a way that's destructive, and you come up short both of God and of what you want in your own life. And, and that where you did, where there was a rule that you did break, if you had paused long enough and looked at it, you would have seen that the rule was there and was trying to point you toward your healing, but you just couldn't see it. So it's very nuanced. And so here I, here I am, here I am, here you are, and we're, we're in the world, and we're, we're trying our best to matter, and we recognize that we have options, but there are there are ways we can go about filling those hungers that give us life that the psalmist points out. And then there are ways that are, I would just call them dead-end kinds of ways. And, and you and I want to know, well, how, how, do, I, how do I know, how, how do I get to a place where my life matters? How do, I, how do I get to that? During COVID, if you've followed the data, addiction has actually spiked. There's a massive upsurge in addiction. And here, here's my best understanding of addiction. Addiction is a way for somebody to say, I, I'd rather avoid the question altogether, and I'd just like to feel good for a little bit. And then they get trapped in that cycle. And, and honestly, I'm not, when I say addiction, I'm, I'm not just meaning substances, though that's absolutely something that can grip your life and ruin you. I mean, you can be addicted to work, right? You can get up on Monday morning and you can show up at work. And what you're doing by working and then working some more and then working some more after that and then never taking a day off and then working some more after that is you're just, you're just, you're putting your head down and you're avoiding the question. Now, this is a, this is a, I mean, it's a struggle as old as humanity and, and, and the ways that, that wise people, wise and the, the, life of the spirit and the heart have talked about those dead-end kinds of ways. You may have heard this phrase before, but there's this list floating out there called the seven deadly sins. Have you heard of the seven deadly sins? I know maybe as a, we're part of the church of the Nazarene, maybe you didn't grow up hearing that, and I didn't grow up hearing that either. 
But we're, we're kind of actually in this series is kind of a covert exploration of those seven deadly sins. And the reason they're called deadly is that they're dead-end ways to go about meeting legitimate needs. And, and they're deadly not because you get dookie points with God, but they're deadly because they're a dead-end path. Have you ever been on a trip and, and you, you go down a street... <laughs> Even Google sometimes will do this to you, take you down a street, and there's no end to it, right? It just stops. A, a dead-end path can't take you where you want to go. There, there isn't life. There isn't a future there for you. And if you keep going, there are forces that will come into your life that will steal your life. That's what a dead-end dead way is. And, and when you and I are, are trying to figure out how is it that we are going to matter in the, how do I satisfy that hunger? I mean, I'm, look at me. How do, I, how do I satisfy that? There's a particular sin that we have a tendency to fall for again and again that trips us up. Now, I'm going to give it to you, and you're going to hear the word, and you're going to kind of roll your eyes a little bit. But I want you to stay with me, okay? That particular sin, when you and I try our best to matter and fill it in a way that is a dead-end way, is the, what Scripture called the sin of pride. Now, I got to make sure, you, uh, I, I know, maybe you're rolling your eyes. I, I don't know. Let me make sure we're, we're talking about the same thing. Because when I'm, when I'm saying the sin of pride, I'm not talking about self-esteem. I'm not saying, you, you, you know, the sin of pride is feeling good about yourself. No, I'm not, that's not the sin of pride. The, the sin of pride is not when you're proud of something you've accomplished or proud of something your kids have accomplished or proud of something your grandkids have accomplished or are proud of something that your church has accomplished or your city or whatever. I'm not, I'm not talking, that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what the writer of the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, so a, a, a group of sayings, 31 chapters of sayings about living a wise life, what that, what that writer means when he talks about pride. Because here's, here's what he says in Proverbs 16, um, verse 18. We'll put it on the screen for you. He says this, he says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit or an arrogant spirit or a I'm better than you spirit goes before a fall. Literally, the Hebrew means um, pride faces destruction. Uh, a, a, an arrogant spirit, it, its face is turned toward a fall. Just, just watch, just look out. And, and the word pride there, what it, it's quite literally translated, it means the heights, right? It's uh, up here. Um, pride is the sentiment that, uh, well, I'm higher than you. Uh, I see better than you do. I, I know better than you. C.S. Lewis has a brilliant writing about, in Mere Christianity, about pride. And he says that pride is always about comparison. It's always me comparing myself to you. And I, I see better than you. And I, I know more than you. And I'm, I'm higher up than you. I have a better perspective than you. And when you're in the grip of the sin of pride, you're always concerned about your dignity and respect. Like, did they treat me with respect? I want you to hear how C.S. Lewis, what he says about pride. Um, he says this, According to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchast- now he's writing, you know, almost 70, 80 years ago. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, all that, are mere flea bites. It was are mere flea bites in comparison. Now listen, listen to what it says. It was through pride that the devil became the devil. <laughs> pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. 
So when I'm, when I'm in the grip of pride, and that's why we fall for it, is I assume that I have the highest perspective. Only I have climbed the mountain and been through uh, the valley and, and made the journey, a uh, laborious journey up the mountain to the top. And here I am at the top, and only I see how things need to go, n- not just in life, but in my life. I'm, I'm the only one with the accurate perspective. It's it's the reversal, if you know the first of the Ten Commandments, have no other gods before me. It's the reversal. It's like, well, I'm going to put myself in the place of God. I'm going to have a perspective of God on my own life and make the decisions about what's best for me and how things work because only I know. Now, it'd be like taking Psalm 103 and, and reading it through a lens of me. So let me, I, I, I rewrote Psalm 103. Um, this is, you know, this is the incorrect version, just so you know. <laughs> But it would go, if you're in the grip of pride, it, you would read Psalm 103 like this. Praise me, my soul, all my inmost being. Praise my holy name. <laughs> Praise me, my soul, and forget not all my benefits. I forgive all my sins. I heal all my diseases. I redeem my own life from the pit. I crown myself with love and compassion. I satisfy my desires with the good things I want so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. Now, I, I know you're reading that, and, you're, and you're like, no one even a really proud person, with very few exceptions if they're a narcissist, is going to go, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, uh, almost everyone's going to go, that, you know, bad form. But then there's going to be a part of you that goes, but it's kind of true. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much me. I'm awesome. The, the motto of the proud, you, you've heard this phrase before, is uh, if it's to be, do you know the ending? What? It's up to me, (laughs) right? In other words, if it's to be, only I can see what I need. So here I am, here you are, we're, we're trying to matter, and what pride does is it makes us think that we're on high and we can see how to make it work. Here's the irony, if you're taking notes, here's the irony of pride. The irony of pride is that I am blind thinking I fully see. Now, of course, anyone who's actually proud, you actually can't see that. It's just that everyone else around you can. (laughs) And if you're the boss, they're probably not going to tell you. Um, Pride is what starts wars. It starts wars in countries. It starts wars in families, it starts wars in businesses, it starts wars on school boards, it start, starts wars in neighborhoods, it starts wars between parents and children, it starts wars between siblings. I, I've got, for me, functions as kind of a, a mental image of pride. I was in Jaffa, Israel a couple of years ago. Jaffa's a, a port city right next to Tel Aviv. And uh, we came around this corner, it's this city that's been built, it's been there for thousands of years and it's been built on top, and so there's no, no rootedness in Jaffa. And so this is actually a symbol for Jaffa, but for me, it's a, it's a symbol of pride. And so, so it's this tree that they've uh, planted. There's, there's some, you know, a root ball there, but you can see it's just suspended. I mean, there's probably a gap of like this between the bottom of that, that ball there of, of roots and, and the ground. There's, there's nothing. It's a, it's a tree firmly planted in midair, right? No roots. And, and for me, that's a picture of pride. It's just like, I'm growing, but you're not really connected to anything but yourself. 
And, and when you have price, why we fall for it? it? Because we think we see by ourselves. And, and where you have prior, pride, the, the irony is, is that your desires actually never get satisfied. And instead of good things coming into your life, what you spread around you if you're a proud person is you spread fear. And you're not renewed. You're stressed. <laughs> and, and you don't soar. What you do when you're full of pride is you protect. Got to protect. Got to protect my dignity. Got to protect my position. Well, what do you, how, do you, how do you move in a different direction? I want to give you um, two life-giving ways to fill the hunger. Now, if you've heard what the psalmist said, I hope you picked up on the fact that your satisfaction is actually God's project. Here's how Augustine, I'm going to introduce you to, if you don't know who Augustine is, we'll talk more about Augustine next week, one of my favorite theologians in the history of the church, third century, um, very, very influential still to this day. He has this famous quote, and we've got it on the screen for you. He said this, you have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless. There's the, there's the hunger again, right? It's the desire. Our hearts are restless until they rest in you. 400 or so years ago, some people were trying to articulate, you know, what, what, is, what is the faith? What does it mean to be a Christian? And just like Christians have done, just to, you know, make it clear. And, and they came up with what was known as the Westminster Catechism. And it's a, it's a form of uh, questions and answers. It was what a catechism is, if you've ever been through a catechism class. And, and the first question of the Westminster Catechism in, I think, 1647, powerful question, uh, is what is the chief end of man, mankind? In other words, what's the aim? What's the goal? Where are we headed? How do we find fulfillment? How do we get satisfaction? How do we fill our hungers? What is the chief end of man? Can you read the answer right there with me? It's the questions that answer. What Out loud, ready? To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. I mean, that doesn't, like, enjoy, right? Enjoy God forever. So here's two life-giving ways to fill the hunger so that God can satisfy you with good things. First thing is uh, the humility of Jesus. Talk to you about that for a couple minutes. And then the second thing is, is you, your and I's response to the hum- humility of Jesus. Now, I, the word humility comes from a Latin word, humilis. It means, uh, it means of the earth. We talked about it at the Ash Wednesday service on Wednesday a little bit. It's, just, it's a way of saying, don't forget where you came from. Uh, it's a way of referring to the fact that you need to be grounded. Even when, when someone is not too proud and they just have a good head on their shoulders, we even have a way we talk about that person. We say, well, he's, she's really grounded. He's really grounded. In other words, he doesn't think he's too tall. He's, he's really grounded. And, and so I, I want you to think about, so it's from, remember, of the earth. I want you to think about Jesus for a second. And, and here's, it all, if you're keeping notes, the, it's the same word for all the blanks right there if you're taking notes. The creator of the earth came to earth, was crushed by those of us on earth, was put into the earth, came out of the earth with the result that now in your life in the 21st century in Wichita, Kansas, in the heartland of America, you can matter while you are on the earth. That's like actually pretty good news if it's true. That's why we call it the gospel, which means the good news that the creator created the world and you and I messed up the world. And then it's Christmas, right? Jesus came to the earth and he was crushed by those people on the earth. They put him on a cross and he was then 
killed and put into the earth, into a grave. And then Easter Sunday morning that we're going to celebrate here in about 40 days, we remember the fact that Jesus came out of the earth. And then that means that you and I can matter while we are here on the earth. That's the gospel. The Apostle Paul writes about it in Philippians chapter 2. He wrote letters to Christians. Uh, that, uh, that's the majority of what we have is the New Testament. And in Philippians 2, Paul quotes what was, most people think was a, a, a hymn in Philippians chapter 2. And he said, he said, God, Jesus, though he was God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. Who, has a, who is higher up than God? Nobody. Who has a higher perspective than God? Nobody does. Didn't consider that something to be grasped. Instead, made himself intentional, intentionally humbled himself, made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant or a slave and humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross, Paul says in Philippians chapter 2. Therefore, God gave him the name that is above every name so that his name, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I, I, want you to, I want you to see from Paul's hymn that he quotes right there, what he's trying to say to you is that Jesus doesn't care about his dignity. He cares about you. <laughs> and so he's willing to be humbled so that you can be raised. And he lowers himself to the earth and he bleeds there on the earth and he's put into the earth and he's a sacrifice that sacrifices himself for you and he's a substitute he does it in your place when it should have been you and me and he's the victor who conquers defeat itself by rising again from the dead so the first good thing that god uses to satisfy your life is the gospel and so i gotta ask you the question is do you know the gospel do you know the god do you know the god who loves you and is for you and came to earth for you do you know that god would rather die than live without you do you do you know the gospel? That's how, that's how we are satisfied with a good thing. It's the humility of Jesus. Well, then there's, a, then there's my response and your response to the humility of Jesus. Now, I, I get that when we think about humility, um, often what we do is we, take, we think, well, okay, well, what you're saying is I need to take a very low view of myself. And so when you're in that frame of mind, then when you hear the word humble, you're not thinking of the earth. You're thinking that what you need to do is think of yourself as something that a farm animal might deposit on the earth. You're thinking humiliation. And so we're kind of anxious about this a little bit. And so we have some phrases, some stock. If you're around um, us Christians for a while, we have some kind of stock phrases we throw out there because we're just kind of anxious about this whole thing. And so, you know, when someone says something good about us or we do something well or you, you might hear a Christian say, and I get it, I get the meaning behind it, I get the heart behind it, but we'll say this, we'll say, you know, it wasn't me, it was the Lord. Well, no, it was actually you. <laughs> and, and it was gifts that was, were given to you by the Lord, and those gifts were given for your own enjoyment and for the goodness of other people. So could I encourage you to receive the joy of building someone else up? And when someone says, hey, that was great. I love that so much. Thank you for sharing your gift. You just respond back and you just say something like, thank you. <laughs> I'm so glad it did something for you. It was an honor to use my gifts. Or, or we'll say things like, oh, well, you know, um, I, I heard this more as a boy growing up. You know, you know we don't, we don't want to get a big head, do we? So uh, 
we need to keep you humble. You know, and, and as a pastor, when someone says that, you're like, okay, brace yourself. Um, that's, that's actually not humility. That's humiliation and shame. It's a misunderstanding of humility. Because if we're actually keeping you humble, then what we say to you are things like, what an incredible gift you have, and how overjoyed we all are when you use it. Thank you. Would you please take that gift that was given to you by God, and would you please fan it into flame? Because you recognize that you come out of the earth. Now, do you have any idea how, uh, what a good farmer can do with good earth and how much a good farmer prizes good dirt? Do you have any idea? Those of you who grew up around farms, you know the value of good soil, right? You know that in the soil, in the earth, is value and potential. And true humility is recognizing your value and potential while at the same time looking around at other people and recognizing they have the same value and potential and you're on an even playing field. Right? That's humility. This, uh, C.S. Lewis says it like this. He says, humility isn't thinking less of yourself, it's thinking of yourself less. In other words, when I'm, when I'm responding to the humility of Jesus, the love of Jesus for me, I recognize that he sees my value and my potential and loves me so much that he's willing to sacrifice himself for me. And then I'm humble and I'm happy, even glad when I get to do something with excellence and greatness. And I'm just as happy if you did it. Doesn't have to be me. Could be you. Doesn't matter. Here's how C.S. Lewis said it. Beautiful definition. It says, do not imagine if you really meet a humble man, he will be what most people call humble anyway. He will not be a sort of greasy, smarmy person. That's a word we need to bring back, smarmy, who is always telling you that, of course, he's nobody. Probably, listen, probably all you will think about him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you said to him. If you, do not, if you do dislike him, it will be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. Isn't that great? He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. <laughs> so when I'm under the grip of sin, what pride does is pride, ma- pride makes me focus on me and humility lets me focus on you. Pride limits me to my perspective and humility opens me to God's perspective and I see the good thing that God uses to satisfy me is the humility of Jesus that was the love of God expressed for me and because I see that God is willing to sacrifice himself for me then my, in, in my response, because I'm not earning his affection, I'm not earning his favor, I'm not earning his love, it's already given to me, it's in the humility of Jesus on the cross and in the resurrection that's given to me, in the humility that comes into me, then I can see the value in you. Now, when you go through all of that, humility frees me to stop worrying about me and and see you. And right there, I discover I matter. I want to invite you to stand with me. Uh, Lord, thank you that, uh, that you made us in your image. You made us, you made us, the scriptures say, 
when you looked at us, you said, oh, good, (laughs) very good that we're made in your image. And you're a God with desires, and so you made us as people with desires. Now, we recognize, God, we're so painfully aware of the fact how we've taken that and gone wrong directions with that. Some of us are suffering that in our marriages, and we've lost marriages as a result. We've lost friendships as a result. We've lost businesses as a result. We've lost children as a result. We're so painfully aware of that. Lord, help us to see um, that the dead-end road that pride is, it's so hard for us to see our pride. It's so hard for us to see our arrogance. It's so hard for me. So, Lord, instead of looking at that, we want to look at you. We want to look at the, the humble act that you did on stretching yourself out on a tree for us, for the sins of all mankind, the proud and the arrogant, the broken. We want to receive again today the benefits of what you've done for us on the cross, the forgiveness, the healing, the redemption, satisfaction of the hungers of the heart you put in us with good things. Oh, God, we want that. Just ask you um, if you've never if you've never heard the gospel, you've never received Jesus as the person who can satisfy you and forgive you and heal you and redeem your life from the mess you've made. Uh, this would be a great day for that. All people around you, they got their eyes closed. If that's you and you go, I, man, I really need that in my life. I, I'd just like to pray for you. Could you just real quick just raise your hand up, put it back down. Yep, thank you. It's a simple prayer. God, I need you in my life. God, I recognize what I've done with my life and that it's not working. I need your forgiveness. Would you forgive me right now? Bring healing into my life right now. I'm going to put all my trust in you. You lead me. You guide me. Thank you for what you did on the cross for me. I receive it today. Lord, thank you that you're as close as the mention of your name, Scripture says. Thank you. Thank you. So, Lord, uh, this week, help us to understand in a new way your humility. Help us to understand that our response is the same and that in that is the fulfillment of our hunger to matter and to count. That we can be alive to the needs of other people. That we can be alive to our spouse, to our friends, to our co-workers, to our team, to our neighbors in a new and fresh way this week because of humility. Thank you for the value and the potential you put in each of us. Now help us to see the value and potential you put in the people next to us. We ask for that in your name and all God's people said.